Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 148. It is found on page 626 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 138 of David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. The New Testament reading is from Acts 11, 1 through 18. It can be found on page 1,103 in your pew Bibles. Peter explains his actions. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear to him in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life? This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning, beloved ones. How are you doing today? It's hard to read your faces when you're uh, covered in masks. But So we are looking at this uh, the strange story in Acts chapter 11. You know, the, the sermon title in the bulletin I came up with, uh, I think last week actually. Uh, it's okay for... Uh, Sermon title. It's 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 from the text. Um, what is it? The Spirit said to me, "You're not to make a distinction between us and them." And then I was reading on Friday uh, a theological commentary by uh, Willie James Jennings, who is a black theologian who uh, I believe now teaches at Yale Divinity School. And his chapter on Acts 11 and his commentary was titled "The Transgressing God." And I was like, oh, that's good. I wish, I wish I could go back a week and change my sermon title to The Transgressing God. So let's pretend that's my, my sermon title, The Transgressing God. And maybe for some of you, I talked to a couple of people about this yesterday, that uh, that language of transgressing maybe brings up, I don't know, some of you maybe went to Catholic school growing up and it's, or you had a great grandma who used to say, you're transgressing. Uh, but as we unpack this, this chapter, we'll see what a beautiful and good thing it is that our God is a transgressing God. Uh, but let's, let's pray first. And I, I feel led this morning for some reason just to pray on my knees. Uh, but let's bow. Uh, let's all bow in spirit before the God who speaks. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you are the God who some 2,000 years ago upset the status quo. You pulled the rug out from under God's people. You upset so many of the assumptions that uh, the early church had about you and who they were in relation to the world and where to expect you to be on the move and to show up. You broke down their understanding of clean and unclean. You reorganized their categories. And we believe that you, Holy Spirit, are still doing that work today that you are still upsetting the status quo, that you are still pulling the rug out from under us, that you are still reorienting us, that you are still speaking. And so as you speak through your word, as you speak through the past, may you also be leading us into the future. Pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. All God's people prayed. Amen. So, uh, Acts chapter 11, this is the lectionary text for today, which means that uh, Christians all around the world, churches all around the world, are studying the same passage. And I've, I've preached on this before, but in my, uh, my work sitting with it, studying it, praying, discussing it with people this week, uh, 
it's come to take on a whole new meaning for me. I think in the past I've, I would have said something like, the Spirit is doing a new thing, the Spirit is alive, the Spirit is on the move still. But I think deep down, uh, I was kind of also believed, yeah, but in this narrow box of what God is allowed to do because of what Scripture has limited us to. Uh, And I don't think of it that way anymore. I think Scripture is, in my understanding of the role of the Bible and the life of the church, is as important as it's ever been. I think my view of Scripture as God's revealed word is uh, becoming more and more central to what it means to follow Christ in a world with all sorts of competing narratives. The, the prophetic role of the church, illumined by this God-breathed holy book, has taken on all sorts of new importance to me. And also, the Holy Spirit sometimes leads in ways that maybe are outside of our expectations of what God might be doing in the world. And there, you know, in, in again, Willie James Jennings, in his theological commentary, he, he says we need to reject this, this dualism, this bifurcation of, so does, did God contradict in this moment in church history what God had said in the past? Was the past true and the early church got it wrong? Or was the church getting it right and somehow the... God's people in Israel and all their understandings of the Jew-Gentile distinction was somehow misunderstood. He says, let's avoid the... It's sort of the wrong question. Instead, let's, let's see the ways that God has been faithful in the past. And uh, like Jesus says in John 3, the Holy Spirit is like a wind that blows in unexpected places. And that, that Spirit is still on the move today. Uh, so Acts chapter 11, just a little bit of context if you don't know what the heck is going on here. This, this is the story of the early church. It's written by Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's his sort of sequel, part two, to his story of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, he begins by saying, I, in my first volume, I began to tell you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now in Acts, he's talking about what Jesus is doing, where Jesus is leading through now the work of God's Holy Spirit. And uh, our our story picks up, I love the heading, uh, Peter explains his actions is what our Bible describes this, this pericope, this passage as. It's like Peter is in deep water. He's, he's at this point where he's defending his actions. And what had happened just before this, the part we didn't hear read today, but I heard kind of summarized was how uh, Peter was uh, in the city of Joppa, a city that's far out on the outskirts of, of the known world, so to speak, for Jews of the day. And he's praying on this rooftop just before lunch, and he gets this strange vision of this sheet that comes down. And, and this passage raises all sorts of questions that, that we won't get into, but this sheet, why a sheet? I don't know. The sheet comes down, and it's full of all sorts of these different animals, animals that were 
up until then uh, known by uh, the Jewish people as unclean. And Peter hears a voice from heaven, the text says, saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is a pretty big deal, and it's, it's, it's no small thing that Peter, it says this had to happen three times. Peter actually argues back with this voice from heaven, the voice of God, and says, by no means, Lord. This is a big no-no for, for thousands of years in Judaism. These were unclean uh, things to, to eat, and now God is doing a new thing. And Peter pushes back three times, and we know as he explains later, he says, he realizes this isn't actually about the food, it's about people. And Will Willimon, in in his commentary, uh, he says it's not even, the vision isn't even just about the distinction between clean and unclean people. It goes even farther than that. It's, It's challenging our ability to even determine, to know to make judgments about who is clean and who is unclean. And so Peter has this strange vision, and it's just him. He's alone. And then God says these three people are about to show up. Go with them. And we also get from our text this this other scene happening. There's this man, Cornelius, who's a Gentile. So Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders. And Cornelius was in the outsider category, and uh, he was a, a good man who prayed and gave to the poor, the text says. And he has this angelic vision where God says through the angel to Cornelius, send for this guy named Peter, he's in this town of Joppa, staying with this guy, Simon the Tanner, go find him and tell him he's to come with you. And so Peter finishes praying. He gets this, this uh, vision. Three times he pushes back. God says, these, these guys are about to show up. Go with them without hesitation. I notice in the text that he, he does sort of hesitate. He says, you know, who are you? Just after the Spirit says to him, go without hesitation. And he doesn't go without hesitation. They actually spend the night. They leave the next day. He gets there a day and a half later. And I can't help but wondering if, if Peter was supposed to go a little bit faster than he was supposed to. But he goes and he gets there and he crosses the threshold. He enters into the house of a Gentile, which Jews were never to do. And he sits down and he eats with them. He's breaking all these rules that were central to the identity of God's people. And then, chapter 11, our text picks up. Peter explains his actions. He shows up back in Jerusalem, and the church is furious at him. They don't understand, how could you possibly have done this? And he endures this thick criticism. And I love how, uh, again, Willie James Jennings says, he didn't have a proof text to fall back on. He had this experience of God. And in this moment, all he can do is tell the story of his experience of God. And the church listens They're open-minded enough to hear about his experience. 
And then our text ends with them saying, okay, Peter. They have no more objections. They're, they're silenced. They're open to the possibility of God doing this new thing. One of the images that come to mind when I think of this story is how the Spirit is so often likened to the wind. The Spirit blows like the wind, Jesus says, and blows where it will. And the nature of wind is you can't see it. It's unpredictable in its patterns. It's powerful. It's real. But it's not something you can just easily pin down or point to. I love imagery of the Spirit being like the wind, the Holy Spirit on the move, the Holy Spirit active and moving people today. And the the impression that uh, commentators note about this whole story is that both on Cornelius' side, the Gentile side, and on Peter's side, the wind, one commentator says, is to their backs. It's as if they're being ushered through this narrative without much control. They have agency. They have choices to follow or to resist. But, but this whole narrative is driven by the movement of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit prompts Cornelius and Peter say yes to the Spirit's prompting. They follow in faith. They could have said no. They could have said, but we've always done it this way. They could have given hundreds of verses to show Peter how he was wrong and how God couldn't possibly have been ushering him into the home of this outsider. How these people couldn't possibly be clean how they couldn't possibly be included in the story of grace. But they were able to recognize, they were able to open themselves to being swept along by the movement of the Spirit. So I thought about trying to boil down the main thing I wanted to to say to us this morning, I find myself thinking of this, that, that faithfulness to God, yes, necessarily involves faithfulness to the story of God in Scripture. This word is God-breathed. It is true. It is infallible. It does not fail to lead us to salvation in Jesus Christ. But faithfulness to God is incomplete if we are not also faithful to the ways that the Spirit is speaking anew today. We are not faithful to the God who is still active, who is still speaking. If we are only faithful to the past, we have to also be faithful to God doing a new thing in our midst. We are not a faith that believes that the Spirit once blew and has now stopped and everything is fixed and we figured out the categories of who's in and who's out, who's clean and who's unclean. 
God is still upsetting the status quo, is still pulling the rug out from underneath us. As individuals, as churches, as a denomination. And we do that in this tension with the past. And that's a complicated thing that needs to be discerned by the Spirit's guidance. This is not the story of one lone charismatic leader, one isolated church that went rogue. This is the story of God moving through a whole group of people in tension with the past. Peter, as he makes sense of this, and Wilmon says all of Scripture, in a sense, is these authors, it's God's people trying to make sense of their experience of God. He thinks back to words of Jesus. There's this reckoning with the past. There's this reorienting that happens in tension with the past. And it's this complicated thing that, um, that again, uh, Willie Jennings, Bryant, or Willie James Jennings says, uh, the word of God is always intention. The word of God, in, uh, let me just, I'm, I don't want to mess this up. Let me make sure I got it here. Maybe I didn't bring it up. Okay, let's see if I can remember it. He says, God's word always presses against God's word. And he describes Peter in this moment, in the church in this moment, he has this image of suturing together God's word from the past with God's word for the future. And so how do we know what God's word for the future is? That's the question, right? How do we know that we're not just going rogue, that we're not actually being unfaithful, that where we think God might be leading us, how do we know that that's actually God? What does a new word look like? Jennings says, he says, we will know it by its fruit. We will know it by its fruit. He says, that which builds life together Life abundant and deepening life in God is truly a new word from God. That which speaks the community of Christ and echoes a desire for shared life, shared hope and redemption from death and all its agents is always a new word from God. Yet these words should never be understood to live, he says, antagonistically with the past. There's a tension, but they are bound together in the life of a speaking God who wills to bind us together through space and time, through borders and boundaries, from life through death and to the life anew and eternal found in Jesus Christ. Friends, this, uh, this stuff is hard. There's no way to step out of the way we've always done things. There's no way to be open to an upsetting of the status quo. 
to be open to the spirits pulling out their rug from under us without inherent risk. It requires vulnerability. And we, you know, we've talked a lot lately about doubt and how doubt itself is, uh, in many ways, an expression of faith. That it takes trust in the goodness of God. That it takes a trust that Jesus is alive and that the Spirit is still moving in our hearts today. For us to risk looking at the hard questions that come up inside us. If you've had the rug pulled out from underneath you, it's incredibly upsetting. It upsets one's own equilibrium. It upsets maybe your family relationships. Maybe your job security for some of you. We'll, we'll talk a little bit later uh, after the, the service. We'll have a conversation here where we'll look at where we stand uh, as a church that's open and affirming and has made a decision for full inclusion of our LGBTQ plus members. Where do we stand in the CRC with, with some big decisions coming up next month at Synod? To be open to the Spirit doing a new thing is scary. And I, th- I can't help but read this story and think about how scary it must have been for Peter to have this strange vision which just seems at first glance to perhaps contradict what God had always said before. And then he's told to go with these Gentiles, people he wasn't supposed to associate with, on this long journey and enter this house. And I'm, I'm struck by the fact, I love this, it's, it's so easy to miss this, but he enters the house and it's this kind of confusing scene. He's probably, this is probably the first time he's ever been in the home of a Gentile. And Cornelius awkwardly gets down on his knees to like worship Peter. He doesn't know. This angel spoke to him and said, get this man. And he, am I supposed to? And Peter like, is like, what are you doing? Stand up. I am just a human myself, he says. Uh, but then Peter says to him, may I ask why you sent for me. Peter doesn't even know why he's there. May I ask why you sent for me? But he was willing to take the risk. Maybe this is God. Maybe this is God speaking in a way that seems in tension with the past. Maybe this is God Leading, maybe this is the gospel still unfolding and the implications of the lordship of Christ, of the ascension that the redeemed one who entered through death and out the other side on Easter and has now ascended, has carried humanity. Maybe, maybe the boundaries of God's presence are bigger than what we thought. Maybe faithful expressions of following Christ can show up in people that we had in the past written up, written off. And he shows up. Peter goes on this journey and enters this home, breaks these rules, puts himself at risk. May I ask why you sent for me? He doesn't even know. And part of the nature of following the Holy Spirit into new frontier 
Sometimes it means you don't know what lies ahead. And uh, Joe Kailma has got a presentation for the, today's congregational meeting or for any that are interested and will answer some questions. But some of those answers might just be, we don't know. What does this mean? What happens if this assists? We don't know. All we can share is our experience of where, as best we can tell, the Holy Spirit has led us. Like Peter, all we have is a story to tell. I invite you to, uh, to pray with me. And I thought, uh, you know, I mentioned this book last week. I, I thought for our sort of prayer of application here. This is the prayer I read last night, and it just seems so fitting. I mentioned this book last week. Uh, you know, some of you, I, I know Jen and I have had some conversations recently. Just a little aside here. Uh, some of you, in the midst of doubt and questions, and a couple of you have just been really honest with us. It's hard to be a Christian these days. Uh, if that's where you're at, I encourage you to, to find little practices like a prayer book that's called A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey. Like I said last week, if you get this, make sure you get the new edition that's got gender-inclusive language and it's just a little, uh, flows a little bit better than the 100-year-old uh, version that's still in the kind of the King James English. But it's a simple little prayer book. Every, there's a, you know, a morning prayer for each day and an evening prayer for each day. A morning prayer evening prayer. And I, I don't hit it every day. Some days I miss it, but I try to just read this prayer. And it takes just a minute in the morning and a minute at night. But these little practices are ways that you can center yourself, sustain the faith, even when it's hard to hold on. But I, I just want to read last night's prayer because it just seems so fitting to... It's a prayer for openness to the Spirit doing a new thing. Um... So let's pray. Uh, Spirit, through these, these uh, old words, through this old hundred-year-old prayer book that has nourished the faith of millions of souls, uh, nourish us now in fresh ways. And Bailey prays this. Divine love, as you stand outside the closed doors of human hearts and knock, Grant me the grace to throw open all the doors of my heart. Let me draw back every bolt and bar that until now has robbed my life of air and light and love. Open my ears, O God, so that I can hear your voice calling me to attempt great things. Too often when you have spoken to me, I have been deaf to your appeals. But now give me the courage to answer, here I am, send me. Help me to hear when any of my human sisters and brothers, your children, call out in need. Help me to hear your voice in their cry. Open my mind, O God so that I may welcome any new insights or knowledge that you wish to give me. 
May I not cling to the past so tightly that I limit the life ahead of me. Give me courage to change my mind when that is needed. Help me to be tolerant to the thoughts of others and open to the truths they may teach me. Open my eyes, O God, so that I may see you in your wonderful creation around me. Let all lovely things fill my heart with joy. And may they turn my mind to your everlasting loveliness. Forgive me for the times when I've been blind to the grandeur and glory of creation, the charm of little kids and the beauty of human lives. And so have failed to see you and all these reminders of your presence. And open my hands, O God. Hands ready to share with others all the blessings you have so richly given me. Deliver me from all mean and selfish instincts. All my money is yours. All my possessions belong to you. Help me to be a faithful steward of your generosity. All honor and glory be to you forever. And all God's people prayed. Amen.